Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions. Connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. You know, when it comes to missions, we're always on mission for God. No matter where, as the introduction says, across town or in a different country. But, you know, Christians everywhere, uh, it's not easy to even go across town to witness to share their faith uh, because of difficulty, persecution. And so today we want to talk about what it means to be praying for those and how we can pray better for those that are suffering uh, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper, and it's our joy to be your host today. And uh, we pray that you can listen to this program and uh, it will enlighten you, it will encourage you and challenge you to, to be on mission for God. Nathan, uh, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are on mission for God in many countries, and, and in many of those countries, they pay a severe price, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Some just for simply uh, claiming the name of Jesus as their Lord. Um, they're identified and they are uh, targeted, persecuted in lots of different ways, um, sometimes very severely just for simply following Jesus, uh, but also for uh, sharing him with those around them. Well, you have met some of these people firsthand when you were uh, in missions there uh, at a place where refugees would come to America after they had spent years and years uh, in refugee camps, and many of them were there because of their countries and the persecution and them getting away and uh, when you know people firsthand, does it really make your heart uh, a little bit more sensitive to the issue? Oh, absolutely. It, uh, it has been one of the uh, greatest privileges of my life, I would say, to, to know uh, believers in Jesus, my brothers and sisters, who uh, for a lot of their life were persecuted for Jesus's name. Um, but it's also uh, one of the greatest challenges of my life. Um, partly challenged to, you know, be willing uh, to, to be as bold as they have been and strong in their faith, but also challenging in just knowing how to, I don't know, how to uh, interact and, and do real life with, with them. And it's, 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 I don't know, there's a lot of uh, questions I still have about, um, why is persecution allowed and you know what are we supposed to do about it here in here in America where we have a great deal of freedom uh, and most of us don't really know what it's like uh, at all to experience persecution so it's there's some challenges I think today we'll be challenged to at least to pray and stand with our brothers and sisters um, but also to empathize with them to a degree yeah. Well, the, the issue in Afghanistan has brought it to the forefront, uh, you know, more recently, yeah. because we had some that would get out, but those many chose to stay because 
That was their calling. They knew what was facing them in persecution, even the possibility and the reality of death. And they chose to stay and follow Christ. And so they're heroes and uh, they're martyrs for Christ. And they get a special crown uh, in glory uh, to lay down at Jesus' feet. And so I want you to share a little bit of experience that you've had with individuals. I think it's a particular one. Set it up for us and then share that conversation uh, or that thought with us today. Nathan? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So this will be a little bit different, but uh, just in kind of introduction to, to what we're talking about today, um, you know, several years ago, like you said, I was living with my family, serving in um, the Atlanta, Georgia area where uh, thousands of resettled refugees had come to live uh, in the U.S. And, and become new Americans and start their lives over. Every single one of them had experienced persecution of some type or the other. And not all of them were Christians, of course, but uh, a refugee is someone who is escaping persecution. It could be for political reasons, spiritual, religious reason, reasons, ethnic reasons, all kinds of reasons. Um, but one of the uh, families that I had the privilege of getting to know for a brief time, um, they, that especially the uh, the the gentleman, the the husband, the uh, father in the story. Um, his, his story is very interesting, and I was wanting to share that with everyone today. Um, you know, when I was living on the mission field, I, I actually kept a, a blog, and I wrote this story basically in three parts on, on that blog, um, and all I wanted to do today was just read it to us. So, Well, I'm looking forward okay. to it. I'm looking forward okay. to it. You'd shared that with me, and I said, we need to hear it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, closer to it than just hearing about it. It's getting to hear from someone who has talked to those people and gotten their words. So this is exploring missions and we're talking about those Christians that are being persecuted and, uh, what we in America who right now still have freedom and we're praying we keep that freedom and that, that God would be glorified in it. But I hope our hearts will grow tender after hearing this. So, Nathan, go right ahead, and thank you. Okay. So the story is broken up into three parts, and I've given a title for each of the three parts. The first part uh, is called A Broken Life. And so the, the two people that I name in the story, these are not their real names. These are pseudonyms. Um, but I just wanted to give them uh, basic names that we can identify with. Um, and just to be honest, uh, two things to note about these stories is that uh, they're, very, they're true, they're accurate and, and authentic and true. They, they actually happened, um, but it's written a little bit more dramatically, you know, um, as a story would be. And then the second thing is that um, at the end of the story, you might question, what was I doing? What, what kind of missionary was, was I? Um, and yeah, I look back on this and wonder, did I make mistakes and did I choose the right things? But anyway, I, I want to read this not to flatter myself, but just to understand the challenges that persecution brings. So this first part is called A Broken Life. Not too long ago, a friend of mine had an interesting dream. I would expect no less from him. Everything about his life is interesting. Heartbreaking, actually. 
My friend Abdul is a Muslim who loves and follows Jesus. Interesting, huh? It's complicated, too. Abdul's life was completely shattered, torn apart right from the beginning. It has been filled with pain, suffering, and turmoil. I'm hoping Jesus will put things together for him and his family. They are refugees from Malaysia, although Abdul's story begins in Burma, in the middle of a civil war. Since 1948, Burma has suffered through innumerable on-again, off-again ethnic conflicts, seemingly all ending in widespread death, destruction, and stricter military rule. When Abdul was 13 years old, an armed rebel militia invaded his family's village, burning, raping, and killing thoroughly. His father was killed in front of his eyes. As he hid and his mother was attacked, Abdul looked into his mother's eyes. She told him to run and never come back. Obediently, Abdul fled and never saw his mother again. Somehow, he ended up in Thailand. He was 14 years old, orphaned, homeless, starving, and desperate. Some men offered to help, so he followed them to their home. Abdul spent the next six years inside that home as a slave. To him, it was better than living on the streets. At least he didn't have to beg for food. He was given shelter and enough food to stay alive. He slept a few hours every night, and he worked every day for six years. Then he escaped. This time, he fled south for Malaysia. In Malaysia, Abdul put his survival skills to good use, and he became a successful businessman. Many of the skills he learned as a slave now served to provide a steady income for he and his new wife, Melissa. He became an in-demand wedding coordinator. Melissa would, would sew dresses and suits of clothes, while Abdul would decorate and manage the catering, photography, and entertainment for weddings and cultural celebrations. As a child, Abdul's family was Buddhist. By the time he had settled into his newfound freedom and life in Malaysia, he had converted to Islam. When he and Melissa were married, she converted as well. Her Buddhist family rejected her, and in marrying Abdul, she gave up all family ties and access to their considerable wealth. This estrangement from her family is a constant source of pain and anger for Melissa. She holds it over Abdul's head, blaming him for bringing so much misery into their lives. Not long after they were married, God would bless Abdul and Melissa with a son. However, their joy in God's gift was subdued because doctors discovered a condition with the boy's heart. As Melissa became pregnant with their second child, doctors diagnosed her with breast cancer. The treatment for the cancer caused complications with the pregnancy. When their, doc when their daughter was born, doctors were not sure the baby would survive more than a few weeks. Several surgeries and tens of thousands of dollars later, the girl's life was spared. Abdul wasn't able to enjoy the good news because he was undergoing a heart surgery of his own. When things were all said and done, his family, though alive and together, had been through one ordeal after another. Abdul's health was broken, his family's financial state was bleak, and his faith in God was shaken. It was at this point that Abdul decided to flee once again, and he would give God one more chance. This time, he would ask God to allow he and his family to start over in America. As he awaited confirmation for his visa, 
God spoke to him in a dream. In the dream, a man in glowing white, with white hair and shining eyes, spoke to Abdul. The man spoke words of hope and acceptance. Abdul took the dream to be a good sign, but wondered at its true meaning. Two years later, Abdul had the same dream. This time, he awoke in a bed in his new American home. This time, the meaning was clear. The man in his dream was Jesus. So that's the end of the first part of the story. Um, we're listening to Exploring Missions today, and we're talking about persecution. And uh, I'm reading a story I wrote several years ago about a true story about a friend of mine who uh, came to faith in Jesus and experienced persecution. And if we're ready, we'll go on to the second part called Revelation. Abdul loves to pray. He enjoys reading the Bible and the Quran. Most of all, Abdul loves Jesus. He prays in Jesus' name. He wants to follow Jesus and be baptized. Now, his theology isn't necessarily biblical, but his heart has been captured with the person of Jesus. A friend of mine has spent a lot of time with Abdul reading and telling stories from the Bible about Jesus. Last month, while Abdul and I were sitting in the emergency room at a local Atlanta hospital, I told him the story of Jesus casting out hundreds of evil spirits from one man. I shared with him how Jesus had more power than anyone or anything. Jesus also had compassion on the man when other people had rejected him. Abdul reflected on the story. He understood it on a very deep and personal level. Abdul wondered if he was like that man. He asked if I thought that evil spirits were attacking he and his family. I told him that I thought that they were. Indeed, I have known no one who has been to the emergency room as many times as Abdul. Every member of his family has seen multiple doctors. All of them had undergone more surgeries. The amount of prescriptions his family takes is unbelievable. This particular visit was just the latest in a string of over 30 such visits in the past couple of years. The medical issues were only part of it. Neither Abdul nor his wife have any family. His parents are dead, and his wife, Melissa, has been cut off from her Buddhist family because of her conversion to Islam. Besides this, the Burmese community in our town have rejected Abdul. This rejection is mainly due to his being a Muslim, but also because he speaks Malay. At the same time, he is known at the local mosque for keeping company with American Christian missionaries, my friend and myself. But Abdul and Melissa don't fit in with the church either. The Burmese Christians treat them with hostility because he is still a Muslim. The American church they visited only served to confuse them. He told me that Melissa thought they had walked into a disco instead of a house of prayer. As we waited for his discharge, Abdul asked if Christians in America go to see palm readers. I told him that people who truly follow Jesus do not. This is the question that led to my telling him of the story of Jesus and his confrontation with the evil spirits. As we drove home from the hospital, we prayed together in Jesus' powerful name. I asked God to speak to Abdul and show him what God wanted him to do. I also prayed that any evil spirits that were attacking and influencing his family's health and social circumstances would be stopped. Jesus, please reveal yourself to Abdul, was my prayer 
as I dropped him off at his apartment. That night, Abdul slept for the first time in three nights. He had the dream again. Abdul was running. Another person was chasing, seeking to kill him. Abdul barely managed to stay a few steps in front of this pursuing enemy, and the gap was closing quickly. As he ran, Abdul looked around. On his right was a cemetery where the dead were buried. Life was blooming in the form of beautiful and sweet-smelling flowers. As he looked at the paradoxical image, Abdul was filled with peace and happiness. Then he stopped running. In front of him stood a man in robes of bright white. His hair was also white. His eyes shone with light. Animals were playing at his feet. The man carried a shepherd's staff in his hands, and those hands were nail-pierced and bloody. As the man spoke, Abdul fell to his knees. The man's words brought joy to Abdul's heart. He told Abdul that he didn't have to run anymore because he was safe. The pursuing enemy was no longer a threat to him. Abdul turned and looked behind him. No one was chasing him anymore. Then the glowing man spoke words that caused Abdul's heart to leap. You are in, he said. Then the man instructed him to take a shower. Abdul looked, and behind the man was a bathtub full of water. Abdul didn't understand immediately, but the man in white was patient and repeated the instructions. This time, Abdul stepped into the tub. There was a cup already filled with water. Then the man poured the cup of water over Abdul's left shoulder, then his right, and finally his head. After this, the dream faded. Abdul awoke fully rested and pain-free. He ate a big breakfast, a breakfast in his first meal in three days. Then he went to his closet and picked out the clothes he would wear to his English classes that day. When my friend picked him up from class, Abdul was dressed all in black. My friend questioned him about this, and Abdul told him that he was dressed for a funeral. Why? questioned the friend. Because, Abdul answered, my old life is dead. Now everything has been made new. So that was part two out of three of my story about Abdul and his uh, experience having a dream of following Jesus. This is Exploring Missions. You're listening to Bert and Nathan Harper, and we want you to hear this story. And so now we're ready for part three. I call it Blessed. I don't see my friend Abdul anymore. Neither myself nor my other missionary friend have seen him for several weeks. I could go over to his apartment right now, but that would only lead to more persecution. Besides, he has asked us not to come back or to talk to him. Abdul is being watched. For the past year, the only way that Abdul found to support his family was through begging. Because of his health, Abdul cannot find a job. When he and his family first arrived in America, Abdul began working in a local chicken factory. He'd only been there for 20 days when the accident occurred. At that time, he didn't know any English, and being new in the country and at his workplace, he wanted to be seen as a diligent worker. When the chemical spill occurred, Abdul was busy training at a frozen chicken packing machine. It was his first day on the packing machine. It faced the wall and was very loud. 
In fact, he was so focused on his work that he never noticed the cries from the other workers to get out. He did notice a bad smell and some steam coming up from underneath his machine, but he thought it must be a normal part of working with the frozen chickens. Soon, however, he began to choke and cough up blood. Still, he continued working and breathing in the toxic fumes. Then he felt a tug from behind. He looked behind him and saw a man with a gas mask, frantically motioning for him to stop and follow him out of the factory. As Abdul stumbled along, he realized that everyone else was gone. He had been left behind. By the time he exited the building, all the ambulances had already taken many workers to the hospital. Instead of arranging for transportation, his supervisor simply sent Abdul home. Later that evening, after his condition had worsened, Abdul checked himself into a local hospital. Without being able to speak English, the doctors didn't know what to treat him for, but he stayed in the hospital for many weeks. Actually, Abdul learned to speak English through his long stay in the hospital. He began to pick up words and phrases from the many nurses who came to his room and cared for him. If you could ask Abdul now what kind of job does he want, he would tell you that he wants to be a nurse. Since the accident at work, Abdul's health has been terrible. He has been in and out of many hospitals for the past two years. He cannot stand for long without a great deal of pain. He has difficulty breathing. He has a heart condition that was worsened by the accident. He cannot even lift his own children. Possibly the worst injustice of all is that the chicken factory where he worked continues to deny him any compensation for what happened. Without his health, without a friend to plead his cause or stand with him, and without any income for his family, Abdul turned to begging. If you've ever ridden on a subway train and been asked for money by a beggar, then you'll have a good idea of what Abdul would do every day. Food stamps provided for his family's food, and they would sometimes receive financial help from the local mosque. But begging on the trains provided for their rent and utilities. Some months, he, they couldn't pay for heat or air conditioning. It was in this condition that my friend and I met Abdul. He had already begun reading the Bible and praying to Jesus. God was already working in his heart, drawing him closer. He simply needed a friend. A few months after coming to know Abdul and spending time with he and his family, I am no longer allowed to see him or speak to them. Abdul's wife, Melissa, is fearful of the trouble that we will cause them. She threatened Abdul with divorce. To keep his family together, Abdul asked us to stay away. You see, right around the same time that Jesus was speaking to Abdul, healing and saving him, Melissa was meeting with influential people at the local mosque. The imams had learned that some American Christians had been helping the family and spending a good deal of time at their apartment. One of Abdul and Melissa's neighbors had been reporting our activities to the imams. Melissa was told that if we continued to make visits with them, then the mosque would no longer give them any financial assistance. However, if we ceased our visits, then a wealthy Muslim businessman would, help be would begin helping them with more substantial gifts, and Abdul could quit begging. This was enough motivation for Melissa. Besides, she was afraid that if anyone in the mosque found out about Abdul's dream and that he was a follower of Jesus and wanted to be baptized, then they would have to deal with severe, more severe forms of persecution. Now, I've noticed that persecution, at least in America, takes on more subtle but no less effective forms than what we hear about overseas. 
Here, a believer's family, which is back home, is threatened, usually not the believer personally. Plus, they are shunned by their ethnic or religious community. Sometimes a monetary reward is offered if the believer will return to their original faith. Since Abdul didn't have a family, and Melissa's family had already disowned her, and since they were already seen as outcasts to their communities, the imams offered financial assistance and the opportunity to be accepted into the community. To obtain these things, Melissa, although not a devout Muslim by any means, had already been attending prayer times and services at the mosque more frequently. And even though she is fine with Abdul following Jesus, Melissa made it clear that Abdul would have to choose between his new American Christian friends or his family. Abdul's desires for his entire household to follow Jesus too. In order for this to happen, they must stay together. For them to stay together requires my friend and I to stay away. Anyway, this is Abdul's choice, not ours. We are learning a lot of wonderful and difficult lessons through all of this. The best and most difficult of all is learning how to let go and trust the Good Shepherd. My prayer is that Abdul, Melissa, and their family are trusting him too at this day. Well, that's my story. Wow. And, Thank you, Nathan. Uh, hopefully it didn't put anyone to sleep. No, it's awesome to hear, and it puts it in perspective of those people who come here in America and turn to Christ and what they have to suffer from their family, uh, from their uh you know, their people, uh, their nationality. And so that's why we wanted to share this today, that you'd be praying, those of you who are listening, that you will be praying for those that are here in America, not just those that are on foreign fields, but it is compounded when it's financial, physical, relational. Nathan, uh, of all of those, when you put them all together, they're, they're difficult things to overcome for someone to come out and follow Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And, um, you know, we don't know what it's like to experience most of the physical side of things, a lot of the financial side of things. Some of us can relate to the relational uh, being shunned or being seen as an outcast um, if we follow Jesus. But, um it's a it's a very severe thing to have to walk through or see somebody that you're close to see them walk through that, knowing that um, there's not much you can do. Uh, although prayer is really what most of them ask you to do, and that's that's actually doing a lot if you think about it. It is, and our scripture, First Peter chapter one, it says in verses six and seven, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're praying that they would follow through, stay with Jesus, and that this faith is real. And one day, that faith will be rewarded. Nathan, thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you. And we appreciate you listening to Exploring Missions. And may God use you to encourage others on their journey with Christ. Christ.